is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name is Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. Cattle prices continue to slide. What is driving the fall and has the bottom of the market been reached for 2023? We'll be speaking to an analyst in just a moment. We'll also today find out why Australia's kangaroo industry is getting nervous and get ready to go and muster some cattle online. Yep, a video game based on the NT's cattle industry is being developed and this week got some significant funding from Screen Australia. You'll hear more about this before 1.30. We're broadcasting across the territory on the ABC. G'day there if you are tuning in via the podcast. First up today, let's head out to the Darwin Port where a live export company and a stevedore have teamed up to build a brand new ramp to load cattle onto the ships. Now, this ramp is designed to load cattle quicker and keep the animals safe when going from the truck to the ship. Dan Fitzgerald went out to the port to see this in action and spoke to Tick Everett from Frontier International. So we've got the new loading facility here at Darwin Port that uh, Cube Ports have built themselves. Um, it's a bit of an updated, remodified version on the old Darwin Port one. We've aimed, you know, animal welfare is obviously our highest priority in, in live export, so we've really focused this whole build around what's good for the animal. You know, it's nice and wide, it's, it's very long, it's very flat. It allows us a few different options. One you'll see here today, we're, we're doing run-throughs now because um, we've got the availability of hydraulic gates in this race that we can open and shut, we can slow cattle down. Um, if something goes wrong, we can stop the flow of cattle instantly. Uh, it's a lot deeper inside the ramp that goes into the ship. Um, you know, there's no risk of the animals jumping out uh, or hurting themselves. So it's a little, little bit higher than the old ramps as well. We've done that to get us a bit more tide, obviously with the ships, they go up and down with the tide. So it allows us, we've estimated it's about another one, about a metre uh, extra water we can get, which, you know, you're doing 21, 23 trucks in a day, that that extra metre of water (laughs) makes a day a lot quicker than having to wait for tide to come back. Um, So yeah, I mean, you can see here it's got Hydraulic legs front, back and middle, um, so we can level the, level the whole race up on hydraulics, take the rock and the move out of it, and I mean, it's a bit hard to see on the radio, obviously, but it, it doesn't move, it doesn't shake, it doesn't bang, so, yeah, overall, you know, big effort on Cube's behalf to pump that money into the industry. They, they've got a lot of faith the industry's going to bounce back, as, as we do too, um, and, you know, we, we'll get this right before we, we start getting pumping again in the next couple of months, hopefully. Yeah, you've only used it a couple of times so far. How's it gone? Really good, mate, yeah. I mean, we, we just did eight trucks here this morning already in an hour and 50 minutes. So, you know, we've we've cut our load time from about 25 minutes uh, per truck back to about 10 minutes a truck. So, you know, the cost savings that we get out of it is, is quite substantial over the year, yeah. Yeah. And do the truckies like it? I think so, yeah. I mean, they're obviously doing the run-throughs, they just pull up once and um, and we do the run-throughs for them. 
makes it a lot quicker, the cattle flow a lot better, cattle flow a lot slower and smoother, uh, rest, less risk in injury. And uh, yeah, then they, they throw the side doors up and drive away. They're not, you know, the old style is they come up and unload a trailer and back that up and move forward and set it up again and then pack it up and move forward again. So, you know, it, it does save a lot of time and yeah, I think the truckies like it. You know, they like to get in, do the job and get to the next one. How many people put in their two cents worth into when you were designing this? <laughs> well, no, it's good. I mean, Argyle Engineering in Kununurra ended up doing the build for us, which you know they've done a done a bloody great job. It's it's a credit to Cam and his and his boys over there in Kununurra, and it's it's sort of stemmed from a few people. Um, been a lot more people have comments on it since it was built. <laughs> we should have done this and we should have done that, but that's life. Um, but no, it's sort of, you know, Cube were really good. You know, they let us get really involved in the design and 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 what we wanted to, you know, to suit the animal, which which is really good, you know. And then obviously Cam's experience, he's built a lot of yards right around Australia and feedlots and sale yards, so his knowledge was, you know, that's he's probably the brains of the outfit, yeah. Uh, can you give us an idea as to how much it cost? Oh, mate, I, I couldn't tell you, but I would assume, you know... They would have, with this and the walkways and everything, it, for a figure, it'd be a couple of hundred, I'd reckon. Yeah, yeah. So it's not a small, not a small cost. Yeah. But you reckon you'll, uh, the money will get back in time saved? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we, if we can load a boat, you know, a normal G class we're looking at here today holds about 3,800 feeders. If we can load that in, you know, six or seven hours as opposed to 12 hours, well, you know, you do 30, 40 boats a year. So it's a lot of labour you're not paying for. So obviously the stevedores, cube ports, they supply the men to work it. Um, you pay them per hour, so every hour we can save is is a lot of money. Yeah. And tell us about this ship today. Where are these cattle going? Uh, so these are all going to Jagada. Uh, they're all feeders. Uh, a couple of importers on it, uh, which is you know four years ago was unheard of, and now it's a common practice for exporters to join together and and fill a boat um, so yeah we've just got a line of steers on here today and and the other exporters got a couple of different lines as well so they'll they'll be about four four and a half five days depending on the weather sail it up to Jakarta um, it'll leave here with about 3300 head on it's not quite full a um, couple of Australian stockmen on there and then uh, there'd be about 32 Filipino crew on there and where did the cattle for this boat come from yeah, mate, so we got uh, most of them uh, what we call backgrounding cattle, so we, we stockpile them in the later half of the of the year for this January trade, um, gen- February now. And then we've also got 18 decks of steers on here that we brought up from Roma. Um, you know, the price was right and the freight was right and it worked. So I think we'll, I think we'll continue to see a lot of cattle come back from Queensland this year for that reason. Um, you know, obviously a lot of cattle went down there last year and the year before, and you know, the, I think we'll see a few of those cattle come back this year for sure. From Roma all the way to Darwin, have you? Has that been done before? Have you heard of that? I'd say it would have, mate. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think round figures are going to be about 2,700k, but um, you know, it's it's not unheard of. We, you know. Spell them in Roma, get them into Roma and feed them, weigh them there and then, and then up to Mount Isa, spell them there again, 
and then Mount Eyes are up to Darwin. So, I mean, it's not an uncommon practice, but um, yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's definitely a weather, you know, where it's heading. Really, you know, you just got to go far and wide to get the article you want for the price. There was a big heap of cattle go out in December. January wasn't quite so busy. What are the next few months looking like? Oh, mate, I think we'll continue to see the market uh, very tough. You know, obviously, price is the is the biggest factor at the moment. Uh, the you know the Southeast Asian market is really struggling to come to that price. So once we get that sorted out, you know, I think we'll see the trade start to lift. I hope in you know in the second half of the year, I, I think we'll start to see a bit of a turn, and then hopefully. 2024 we can get back to seeing some of those normal volumes a big thanks to tick everett from frontier international for showing the country hour this new ramp that's been used to load stock at the darwin port this week on landline devastation in wa's kimberley region rebuilding in central new south wales and the upside of flooding revived wetlands for birds it feels very special, I think, when you come into these places and, you know, we have sort of between 30 and 50,000 breeding pairs in here. You're maybe the only person that these birds have seen so far. That's Landline Sunday 12.30 on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. Yep, Landline is back for 2023. Keep an eye out for the market report. How good is the market report? And this week we will be looking at Australian cattle prices, which have been on the slide this year. In fact, they've been falling steadily since last November. Now, the benchmark Eastern Young Cattle Indicator, it's now more than $4.30 a kilo behind its record high that was set early last year. And the feeder steer indicator, well, it's fallen nearly 25% in just three months. So what is causing the slide? And has the bottom of the market already been reached for 2023? Uh, let's bring in market analyst Matt Dalgleish. Matt, first of all, what is causing cattle prices to slide? Um, I think there's a couple of reasons, both domestically and internationally, Matt. Um, if you go at the international space, we've had, you know, up until recently, China was kind of struggling through this zero COVID policy, which has now changed and now they're opening up. But prior to that, there was a little bit of a kind of concern around the Chinese economy, um, lockdowns in certain cities. So that meant that, you know, their demand wasn't as strong as it maybe could be for going out and eating. Um, and then that flows through to the red meat space. Uh, also then if you look across to the US, we've had the US in their third year of liquidation so they've been a bit inundated towards the end of the year with uh, red meat stores over there um, so that kind of took a bit of a sting out of that market as well um, and so yeah, that international space um, was a bit kind of you know on the wane towards the end of the year. Um, the US was also, you know, economically they look like they're facing a recessionary phase into 2023 so that also can have a bit of an impact on beef demand. So there's those factors overseas. And then domestically, I think, you know, we're starting to, you know, as the producers are starting to look towards the climate, you know, we've had three years of really good seasons um, and the chance of getting a fourth year of a really wet, good season uh, for the for the cattle producer, I think, is pretty unlikely. Uh, the Bureau now saying that, you know, the La Nina is breaking down uh, and, the, and we're likely to go back to a more normal season this year. And, you know, the next thing, I guess, around the corner is likely to then be uh, the potential of a of an El Nino and a drought phase. So um, I think, you know, that kind of really exuberance to buy cattle we saw 
the last few years from the restocker. I think that's just starting to wane a little bit now as mm. well. So that's kind of taking some of that demand out of the sale yard. And supply into sale yards in general, it's up, yes? That's right too, yeah. So since the start of the year, we started to see numbers flowing, uh, higher numbers both for slaughter and for, for kind of throughput at the sale yard. Um, you know, I think there was a bit of a backlog too, you know, through that latter part of last year. In some areas, it was a bit tricky getting access because of the, the flooding we saw in, in certain parts of the country. Um, and that's alleviated a bit now. So we started to see a few animals come forward in the early part of this year. And that's kind of probably the, the strongest supply we've seen since probably 2019, 2020. In terms of prices, have we seen the bottom of the market for 2023? That's a, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, I, I actually think possibly not for the whole of 2023, but I think certainly now where we're sitting, I expect that pricing's you know kind of a bit overdone to the to the downside. So we're a bit undervalued, I think, in the cattle space right now. Uh, my my personal view is that we're going to see the market kind of grind higher a little bit through first quarter, maybe into second quarter. Um, I, I'm just a bit reserved because towards the back end of this year, if we start to look like we're going to turn to a drier season in 2024, I think we might see you know return to softer pricing maybe in the final quarter of 2023. Uh, whether it goes as low as this or not is another, you know, it's probably hard one to, to, to gauge. But I'd say the next six months at least, I think we're in for slightly, you know, kind of more f- support coming into the market and more firmer pricing uh, in the cattle space, I think, as we head towards winter. There's been a lot of talk about abattoirs and their ability to find enough workers. But I've got here that uh, last week nearly 110,000 head of cattle were processed highest number since around June 2021. So is that sector doing maybe a bit better than some people are saying? There are some I mean, there are some abattoirs that have, they're starting to work through that labour issue concerns. Um, I think it's a bit patchy still. So in certain areas, there have been some have been able to take advantage of some of the programs the government's rolled out with regards to, I know, the Pacific Labour Scheme. They've had a, they've had a few of those that have been... Um, you know, kind of going through the training phase. It's taken a bit longer to get those workers up to speed than what you'd have for normal uh, staff would generally bring in as, as skilled labour in those abattoirs. So, you know, it's taking two to three times longer. Um, you know, I think, yeah, some of the pressure's been alleviated. I don't think the whole issue has been solved on that. Um, we've got to remember that, you know, just coming off the back of, um, you know, slaughter levels a year or so ago at six million head for cattle in Australia, um, MLA are projecting slaughter levels into 2024, five moving up towards you know high seven million heads and into eight million head. So that's a, a good number of um, you know, animals to be processed, and the you know, the flocks also increasing, and and lamb and sheep slaughters projected to rise as well. So you know we are going to see those levels increase. Um, I don't know if we've got the complete labour capacity across the whole of the country just yet to take all of those numbers. Um, but you know yeah, the picture has got better. Uh, than, than say middle of last year but I think we're, we're probably running on average I'd suggest maybe you know 80% of capacity so there is still a bit of um, potential for bottleneck if uh, if we can't get those numbers right in, in terms of labour um, as we as we start to ramp up that slaughter. And I guess finally on prices a lot of the graphs at the moment look dramatic but that's because it's all coming off record high prices last year. Current numbers are still historically high yes? Yeah, that's right. If you look at the kind of, I think for cattle, we're slightly below now the five-year trend, but not by a lot. Um, but yeah, if you go back kind of further in time, we're still talking about pretty strong pricing for, you know, for cattle across most categories. Um, if if you look back further than the last few years. Hey, thanks for your time, Matt. No worries, Matt.
Big thanks to Matt Dalgleish, who is from episode3.net. G'day, I'm Bill West. I've uh, been skippering trawlers in the NPF for 43 years, and you're listening to the Country Hour. Yes, there'll be more on Landline this Sunday at 12.30. If you miss it, you can catch it via ABC iView. Now, if you're on a cattle station, I'm sure you know the basic first aid stuff. You know how to wrap a bandage, apply pressure, all those bits and pieces. But do you know how to help a mate who's perhaps suffering from depression or anxiety? As we go to air this afternoon, the Northern Territory Cattlemen's Association is hosting a mental health first aid course. Now what's involved in that? What's been learnt? You'll find out in a moment. But first, let's have a tune. Earlier in the week, Willie Nelson won a Grammy for Best Country Album. Now that album is called A Beautiful Time. Here is the title track. Hope you enjoy. That is the song A Beautiful Time by Grammy Award winning Willie Nelson. Beautiful. It is nine to one and you are tuned into the Country Hour. Now when there's an accident on a cattle station, you grab the first aid kit and you head out to help. But would you know how to respond if a colleague was struggling with a mental health issue. The Northern Territory Cattlemen's Association is hosting a mental health first aid course in Alice Springs this week. Psychologist Dr Gregory Bull spoke to Victoria Ellis about what the course covers. The idea with mental health first aid is to teach people a series of actions, five actions that they can put into place to try and assist people who have an emerging uh, mental health problem or maybe going through some kind of lapse or relapse to reconnect them with um, professional help, actually. Just in a dot-point summary, what are those five actionable steps? Oh, you're really testing me. (laughs) The first one is A, which is approach, assess and assist with any crisis. Uh, The second one is L, um, listen and communicate. Uh, non-judgmentally. The third one is give support and information. The fourth one is encourage the person uh, to, the word's not quite right, access appropriate professional help. Um, And the fifth one is encourage other supports. And how did the first day of the workshop go? Oh, we've had fun. Uh, One of them commented at the end, I said, it's four o'clock, we need to go home. And she said, oh, I thought it was only 2.30, that's a good sign. So I think it went very well, but bearing in mind there's only three people in the group. Were you surprised by having three people in the group? Were you expecting those numbers? So I did hope there would be six to eight today, but I wouldn't say surprised at three. What's your experience been with people's willingness to come to these sorts of things? I think it's it's not simply willingness. It it, uh, it depends a lot on the, the conditions and the timing of them. I did some a couple of years ago and we did have a couple of males, men present, and a couple of sort of managers or owners there with their wives, which is really good. However, I think the work 
and the workload and the nature of the climate and the time of the year has a bearing on whether people can come. So I noted, I've noticed an awful lot of rain and that makes a difference to the kind of work that people have to do on stations and whether or not they feel they can come in. But I think there's a sense also, and this is my own sense, that often the females manage that side of things to a large degree. So as a consequence, the one we had in Darwin in October and the one today, we have no males present. So it's, it's a combination of that workload, I think, and time of year and conditions and and the people that really probably tend to take the time to learn this stuff are often female but not always there's a a sense also that perhaps men don't like talking about the feeling side of things and just tend to suck it up and keep going and i think that perhaps influences whether or not they become involved with these sorts of things that is psychologist Dr. Gregory Bull. Now, he mentioned that one person who was doing this course got so involved in it that they forgot what time it was. Well, that person was Paddy Weir of Alambi Station, which is to the southeast of Alice Springs. Paddy also had a chat with Victoria and told her why she was so keen to do this course. I wanted to do a mental health first aid course for a long time. And this time I've been able to get to the course, so I'm really enjoying um, the content and, yeah, I really appreciate being able to access this course. Why is it so important that you can access the course? Like, what sort of need do you see in the people around you for that sort of knowledge? Uh, As an employer in a remote area, we have lots of young staff whether the young Australian staff or um, international workers like uh, working holiday makers, they're all a long way from home. So, you know, we go to first aid courses because we want to be able to respond um, to an emergency, a physical emergency. Well, I think mental health first aid is really important to recognise signs and symptoms in people if they're struggling from a mental health point of view. And at the moment, we've just had the most fantastic summer rain. We've had a very mild summer. But in times of drought is when, um, yeah, people really have to look out for each other. Yeah, I think it's really, really valuable. And without identifying anyone, are there any stories you could tell me about times where you have seen mates or workers or anybody else struggling? I think um, the biggest thing is people, um, young workers a long way from home probably struggle with homesickness. There's not really a hell of a lot you can do about that unless you can actually get them home. But you can just be mindful, yeah, that they are a long way from home and try and support them and, you know, ask them if they're going okay, if there's anything you can do. Yeah, I just think being mindful of people's um, physical well-being but also the mental well-being is really important. Were you surprised that it was only three people to start with and that they were all women? I'm not surprised that they're women. I am a bit disappointed for the NTCA, um, you know, that they've put this course on. There hasn't been the turnout that they have expected. But I guess there's a few things coming in play, like, yes, it's February, so it's summer. Maybe it's difficult for people to get away. Um, but also, 
you know, in all my areas, there's still probably you know, a bit of a stigma about talking about mental health, whether that's um, right or not. Um, but yeah, I'm not surprised in um, rural remote settings, I guess often it does come down to the women to, you know, check in with everyone, make sure that they're going along okay. And with that stigma, how important do you think the course is and even just talking about it now is in helping to break down that barrier? Life just throws all sorts of things at you. I think it's really important that people um, understand that if you're looking at another person, what you see physically is not actually what can be going on in their mind and that they might need a bit of understanding or a bit of support. That is cattle producer Paddy Weir talking about this mental health first aid course that is wrapping up today in Alice Springs. And if this topic has raised anything for you, you can contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or get in touch with Beyond Blue. Yo, what's going on, everybody? My name is Gillan Banu, aka Bolabaro, Narayako, Rilipir Banu. Yo. Yo, my name is Davis Wirpanda, and I'm from Baniala. I work at Gulukula. My young name is Wadon. I'm a young man. And you're listening to Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. In a moment, we'll find out why Australia's kangaroo industry is getting nervous. Getting a little bit jumpy, I guess you could say. And get ready to go and muster some cattle online. Yep, a video game based on the Territory's cattle industry. It's been developed and this week got some significant funding from Screen Australia. So you'll learn more about this before 1.30. The game's called Pasture, the Livestock Simulator. Let's go to the Weather Bureau now. Billy Lynch is there this afternoon and there's a bit going on. Billy, the monsoonal trough, what can you tell us? Uh, yeah, so it's still in its development stages, but it's um, getting quite active around the sort of Tiwi Islands and the Arafura Sea. So in the last 24 hours, we saw some pretty good falls around that northwest top end. Charles Point picked up 108 millimetres. Perlingimpi has had 90 millimetres. Um, and then we've also seen just from thunderstorms across inland parts of the top end, some fairly good falls around 50 to 70 millimetres um, around that sort of Catherine and Waterhouse region um, and also into the Arnhem District. So Bullman's had 70 and Wongalara 98. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely, yeah, building up. Um, in fact, if you look at the radar at the moment, just to the north of the Tiwi Islands, you can kind of see a bit of swirling going yes. on in, in the mm-hmm. rain. Yeah, so, you know, there's a bit of a sort of a low-pressure system trying to form up in that region as well to just give a bit of extra strength to the monsoon over the weekend. Um Today we've issued a few warnings and watches in anticipation of the monsoon um, strengthening across the top end this weekend. Yes, well, the flood watch that's just come out in the last few minutes, that's uh, yes. that's quite the list of catchments that are likely to be affected. 
Yeah, um, yeah. So issued about ten to one this afternoon. Uh, basically, it's that the western half of the top end. Um, I can very quickly read out the river catchment. So it's the Fitzmaurice, the Mary, the Adelaide, Finnis, Daly, Catherine, Moyle, Wildman, and Waterhouse rivers where we're expecting rainfall to increase and we should get some responses in the rivers. Nothing too threatening at this stage, but certainly enough just to be telling people, you know, this is what's going to happen. Mm. And for me, what sticks out with this initial flood watch is the language around rainfall totals of 75 to 120 millimetres with isolated totals of up to 240 forecast for the remainder of Friday and Saturday of the flood watch area. Big numbers there, Billy. Yes, yes. Um, should point out that sometimes in these flood watches we give daily rainfall totals. This one is a rest of today and tomorrow, and tomorrow. Mm. total. So numbers do look a bit bigger with the 240, but um, definitely some places could get you know 100 millimetres overnight and another 100 during Saturday. So um, and you know the um, the ground's pretty wet out there as well, so the yes. rivers should respond fairly quickly. How far south are you expecting the moisture to reach? Well, the monsoon itself is kind of like the Daly district north of Catherine and then down into the Arnhem district. But just surrounding the monsoon and the monsoon trough, there's going to be a lot of thunderstorms as well, which is why the Catherine River and, and the Waterhouse is involved. Um, and that moisture will extend as far south as about Elliot. Um, in fact, yeah, Tennant Creek, we're confident it's not going to rain there for a few days, but anywhere north of Tennant Creek, you're starting to get into the shower and storm activity. Okay, and the weekend head for Central Australia, much to report other than heat? No, that's really the only thing to report, mm. to be honest. Um, pretty settled pattern down there, so weak ridge preventing any rainfall, but allowing the clear skies and the temperatures to build up. So already this afternoon we're seeing Tennant Creek hit 34, Alice Springs Airport 36, Yalara's cracked 39 already. Um, basically the afternoons are going to be in the high 30s to the low 40s throughout the weekend and uh, really not much change as we move into next week either. Normally on a Friday... I would ask for some advice for fishos, but it's probably not a great weekend for it, I assume. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, your average punter, the best advice would probably be stay inside uh, Take a this look weekend. at next, yeah, yeah, catch up on some movies or something else, you know. Clean I the reckon. boat or something like that, yeah. All righty then, thanks for your time, Billy. No worries, thank you. Tales from the Tinny. I was swimming flat out and eventually I just had to think, oh, man, you're going to die. <laughs> you have to give up. No one, for instance, did a Tiwi Islands Hector the Convector anvil clout. <laughs> Subscribe to the podcast. Presented just like a big old chunk of facial hair. You can imagine it on one of the upper cheeks. Just to the north. Hector the Convector beard sculpted. Yeah, finally got round to proposing to my better half and wanted it to be something special and memorable and all the things I like that are special and memorable are fishing. Or catch it from 5.30 today on ABC Radio Darwin. It is 11 past one here on the Country Hour. Australia's commercial kangaroo industry says moves from two US states to ban kangaroo products based on misinformation and false accusations. The industry is a bit nervous at the moment as Madeleine McCosker reports. 
Australia's commercial kangaroo industry is worth more than $200 million to the country's economy and employs more than 3,000 people. Meat for human consumption and pet food are exported around the world, along with kangaroo hides for leather products. In Oregon, lawmakers want to make it illegal to buy, sell, receive or commercially exchange anything using kangaroo parts. Democratic Senator Floyd Prezanski introduced the bill, labelling the commercial hunting of kangaroos as unconscionable. But Dennis King, executive officer of the Kangaroo Industry Association of Australia, says US politicians have been influenced by activist groups with an agenda. There's a lot of misinformation being put out by uh, activist groups over there to politicians with all sorts of false accusations of the way we treat the animals and uh, all these false accusations of two million kangaroos slaughtered to make shoes for for Nike. You know, that's just just outrageous and so wrong. The proposed legislation takes aim at sports apparel manufacturers in Oregon like Nike, the state's largest employer, who use kangaroo leather for soccer cleats. Politicians in Connecticut have followed suit, introducing a similar bill in the hope of banning kangaroo products. Dennis King says association members will soon travel to the US to meet with embassy officials and politicians to make the case for the importation of Australian kangaroo products. We're working closely with the um, the embassy in Washington. We've um, been in touch with, uh, with the uh, agricultural um, minister-counselor over there and we're talking with them at the moment. The, the industry is looking to actually um, go to the US and uh, and meet with um, the embassy officials over there and meet with members, staff. You know, we've got a good record of uh, what we do, and and we can talk about all the the welfare um, issues that are, that are occur- that happen because we we have trained and, and very professional harvesters, and these um, the misinformation that's being um, put out by these uh, these groups. Uh, needs to be it needs to be called out and it needs to be shown to be false. In 2022, the kangaroo population across Queensland, New South Wales, South Australia, Victoria, and Western Australia was estimated to be more than 30 million. The government quota for culling and harvesting that year was set around 4 million, or 14.3 percent of the known population. Commercial kangaroo harvester Dan Kempson has been in the industry for 30 years. He's frustrated by attacks he believes are misinformed. Our industry is very easily targeted. Um, we are a highly regulated industry. And, um, yeah, the facts and figures are there for everyone to read. So that's what needs to be pushed, just to show that it is a highly regulated um, industry and, and um, a well-looked-after industry. In 2021, US Congress failed in an attempt to introduce the Kangaroo Protection Act, which would have banned the sale and importation of kangaroo products. Only one US state has successfully banned kangaroo products, with California passing laws in the 1970s. Dan Kempson says while bans in two US states may not be felt immediately, he's worried about what comes next. I think the the bigger picture maybe it might be a snowball effect as more states might follow suit and that could be more devastating for our industry. And it's not just export markets that could be hit if more states follow suit. Townsville-based NQ Game Meats supplies the domestic market with 55 tonnes of raw meat, including kangaroo, venison, goat and wild boar each week. 
Director Edward Ramsey says there's been a spike in sales in the kangaroo market in the past year. We've seen over our counters alone, we have customers, new customers every week coming in wanting to try roo, which is a good sign. He's worried a reduction in exports could hurt domestic markets. It would it would damage the industry as in market-wise, definitely. There's couple of other major companies that do do a lot of exporting you know so if they that door shut well that Bruce they'd bring them back to the domestic market which would flood the market. He says the ripple effect from a ban could be significant. These American states so you sort of they jump on a bandwagon and they just don't seem to well they don't want to look into it too much I don't think. If they're not controlled to a point it will cause a lot of problems like the, the graziers will be on, their, on everyone's back because the roos are eating all the grass for the cattle. You get, you know, major car accidents because they're crossing roads everywhere, that sort of stuff. It's very beneficial to keep the industry strong. That's Edward Ramsey from NQ Game Meats ending that report from Madeline McCosker. And you can read more about this story up online right now if you search for ABC Rural. Nominations are now open for Farmer of the Year with 10 categories spanning all ages and stages of life on the land. Let's recognise the hard work of our rural leaders, innovators and farming legends and celebrate those in our rural sector who go above and beyond. You can enter yourself or someone you know at farmeroftheyear.com.au Proudly supported by the Condinen Group and ABC Rural. It's 21 past one on the Country Hour. One of my favourite stories last year was a deep dive into the world of gaming and how there's an increasing number of farming games coming online, and they're very popular. And here in the Territory, there's a game being developed that's based on the NT's cattle industry. It is called Pasture, the Livestock Simulator. Now, this game is still being developed, but it's impressing the right people. This week, the game received significant funding from Screen Australia. Nathan Groves from Salty Games, welcome back to the Country Hour. Can you just remind our audience what this game is all about? So our game is a, uh, a farming simulator based around uh, the livestock industry of Australia. In particular, we're focusing on making it for the Northern Territory. Uh, basically every facet of of managing a cattle station will be in the game in, in some way, shape or form. And uh, yeah, you'll, you'll be responsible for your cattle. You'll be responsible for breeding them, growing them up, um, selling them on the markets, uh, you know, drafting it right, right down to the, the sort of granular level. Yeah. I've had a chance to play it. You get to fly helicopters and ride quad bikes and, yep. and all the and fun stuff as well. <laughs> yep. That's the part we're focusing on at the moment. Um, we're focusing on the mustering at the moment. Uh, once we've got that down um, and and the cattle are actually behaving and, and feeling really good, then we'll focus on adding those bigger parts of the uh, cattle, cattle station experience to the game. So this funding from Screen Australia, what can you tell us about it, Nathan? Well, uh, we were approved, I believe, just before Christmas. Um, we we had to keep it quiet until now, and basically, um, it's a fund that has just just been brought back online. They did one last year, 
um, I'm not sure how many games they did last year, and now they're doing now they're doing it over the period of a few months. And um, we were in the first group of games to get this grant. Um, yeah, we're we're amongst eleven other games from across Australia. So that uh, Screen Australia, um, we're looking to to build up the games industry in in the parts of Australia that hadn't really previously had it. And so NT is definitely one of those. I'm not sure if you're happy to share with us the exact amount that you've been funded for, but uh, you know, um, can you tell us what it allows you to do? Yeah. Um, I don't think I can disclose the exact number at this time, but it is a significant amount. Um, to put that into a picture, that means we can hire you know, really good programmers. Um, we've got an artist coming on board. It definitely fuels us to get a lot more done and, um, yeah, get a lot closer to the vision of what we wanted to do with pasture. And this is on top of another grant that you've received from the NT government, yes? Yes, which was also significant. And, uh, yeah, all of that really helps. And that that funding from those sources just makes our, our sort of runway a lot longer and makes the game that we can make a lot better. So in terms of the timeline of getting this game Ready for gamers, uh, what are we looking at? We were looking at getting early access onto the PC around mid-year. Um, now that we've got all of our programmers, our artists, everything like that, we will know what our sort of trajectory is in the next month or so. But we're aiming to get um, early access out this year, and that's just focusing on the mustering component. So if people purchase that in early access, they'll be able to do mustering contracts and everything like that. And as time goes on, they will get little updates coming onto their computer saying, you know, now drafting is in the game. Now cattle nutrition is in the game. Uh, now, you know, a live market interface is in the game. So we're going to start off with the fun, the, the most exciting part. So people can get value out of it straight away and then add on as we go. And that's a pretty common trend with computer games released these days. It's still such early days, but impressing the right people, what do you think it is about Pasha, Livestock Simulator, that's uh, attracting the attention? I think that, well, first of all, we're getting a lot of attention from people who are actually in the Australian farming scene, a lot of young people uh, following us on TikTok. And honestly, I just think it's because we're making a game that they, they always wanted and no one's ever bothered to make. And for people that aren't involved in it, you know, it's the most exciting farming environment in the world. Um, you know, it's wild, it's woolly, it's like a, the final frontier in a way, and that's why people want to experience it. And I've heard you've had a chance to show this game to the Northern Territory Cattlemen's Association. Some of its members have, have had a game. What was that response like? Yeah, um, I think they were a bit surprised to see that it was being done, just seeing the helicopter and uh, and seeing it all happen. Um, and they actually had um, mentioned to us that previously they had met um, a guy who came up to the NT from a cattle station and had been influenced by a computer game he played to actually come up and get a job in the NT cattle, um, NT cattle scene. That was like an American cowboy game, but it just shows the effect it can have. And so, um, yeah, um, NTCA were, were really good. They were supportive of us and gave us a letter of support to get the grants and um, so did the NT Farmers Association. So I think that – I can't speak for them, but I think they can probably see that uh, a good game could, could really sell the, the cattle industry to all sorts of people. It is exciting. Well done on the funding and thanks so much for your time. 
Thanks, Pat. Cheers. That is Nathan Groves. He is the creative director at Salty Games. If you missed our coverage last year about this game, Pasture, and the rise and rise of farming games, if you jump into a search engine and just type in Farming Games ABC Rural, you will find that initial article. (laughs) I love it. He's the son of a livestock agent and doing some really, really cool things. Hey, just before I let you go, let's talk about the weekend ahead weather-wise. Looks like the top end is going to see a monsoonal burst. And about, what, 20 minutes ago, the Bureau put out its initial flood watch for the weekend ahead. And there's some decent numbers involved with it. The Bureau is saying that rainfall totals of 75 to 120 millimetres with isolated totals of up to 240 millimetres are forecast for the remainder of today and tomorrow over the flood watch area. Now, the catchment's likely to be affected, and it's quite the list. We're talking the Fitzmorris River, the Tiwi Islands, Mary River, Upper Adelaide River, the Adelaide River below Adelaide River Township, the Finnis River, the Lower Daly River, Daly River above Douglas River, the Catherine, the Moyle, the Wildman River, and the Waterhouse River. That's the initial flood watch from the Bureau, and they are expecting to issue their next one at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. That's all we've got time for on today's Country Hour. If you've missed any of our stories from the week just gone, you can find them on our website. Just go searching for NT Country Hour and there's links to podcasts, stories, individual audio segments, all kinds of goodies. Head along to that website and keep it rural. Rural.